You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, good to be with you guys. Excited to be here as we continue in this series. Um, I was reading uh, a few months ago about a uh, an experiment that uh, this uh, this basically this German uh, biologist did um, to be able to figure out uh, a key thing. And what he wanted to know is how good humans are at uh, at being able to internally understand the direction that they're walking. And so <laughs> that's very specific. But it came out in a journal called Current Biology. Um, and basically, this guy did this massive study um, based upon really in various locations, in various circumstances, in various environments, what he wanted people to do was walk a straight line. And so um, there was all this, all this stuff that he did from the forests of Germany to the deserts of the Sahara, and he collected all of this data on, on how good people are at walking straight lines. And the data says to us that we are very poor at walking in straight lines. Um, specifically in context, he, he basically reported that, um, that in any kind of um, moment where there's not something like the moon or the sun, right? These are basically the two things. If that's not present, we have almost no chance of being able to walk a straight line. And so intuitively, we know this like when we hear about these stories of people that get lost in the woods and they walk and walk, and then um, you know they find that you know they're only 100 meters away from their car or something like that. In fact, it's so bad that it says when the sun goes down or when it's overcast, um, we tend to um, not be able to move more than about, uh, about a quarter mile away from our original location, no matter how long we spend walking. Is that not ridiculous? They said this, if you blindfold someone and tell them to walk straight, they will not get any farther than 66 feet away from their original point. 66. They can walk for hours and not go more than 66 feet away from their original position. This is like science, but it's this crazy reality that um, really helps us to understand um, how bad we are at internally being able to navigate um, to destinations. And when we look at our text today, um, what Jesus does is effectively, in a spiritual sense, um, do the same thing uh, in terms of helping us to have a compass um, that, that really what the sun and the moon does. Um, and, and without those things, we're really bad. And what we see Jesus do today is, uh, is really begin to help us to navigate some things that I'm sure as we begin to get into this, we begin to believe that we are so sure that we're going in the right direction. We're so sure that we can get there, and yet we are so poor sometimes at being able to recognize how to actually get to destinations in our life, especially when it comes to following Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in Luke 6. So if you have your copy of Scripture, you can turn with me, and, uh, and we're just going to see what it looks like for us to explore um, this, this passage and understand what Jesus is actually doing. So it says this, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some grain, some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And he and those who were with him, 
and how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here we go again on another, on another Sabbath. He was entering the synagogue and there was teaching and a man there whose hand was, uh, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might be able, they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this is this passage that we see in Luke chapter six. And it's one of the passages, um, I believe that if you're like me, I've just read across this. And I've really just kind of um, gone through this passage, not really stopped to be able to say what's going on here, or when I stop to think about it, um, really I begin to get stuck into some, some rhythms of, of what life looks like and, and what is the Sabbath. And I think that's an important thing um, as we begin to say, okay, let's unpack what Jesus is saying in this, in this context. We look back and we see that both of these stories, Luke, Luke is purposely putting them together in order for us to be able to understand some things. And the first thing he does is he, out of all the things that Jesus did, he begins to pull out the things of the Sabbath <clears throat> and for us to be able to understand what that means and ultimately why it leads to people getting furious about Jesus and the way that he interacts with the Sabbath, we need to know a little bit about this. We need to know a little bit about um, what's going on in this. And so the Sabbath, really this idea comes from the third commandment, um, as we see in the, as one of the 10 commandments that we are to, um, to, uh, to keep the Sabbath holy. And this is one of those things that began to be put into the rhythm of the, of the Israelites. And what would happen is they would take and uh, kind of in the same way that, that God created the world, right? He did six days and on the seventh day he rested. They began to operate in that same kind of context. And so on the seventh Seventh day, um, they would they would rest. And here's uh, this this understanding. It's ultimately, as people looked in on on the the Jewish lifestyle, here's one of the things that they would see. It says uh, this in uh, a guy named N.T. Wright says this. It says one of the few things that ancient pagans knew about the Jewish people is that from the pagans' point of view, they had a lazy day once a week. From the Jewish point of view, it wasn't laziness. It was the chance to celebrate time in a different mode. Sabbath was the day when human time met God's time. When the day-to-day -day succession of tasks and sorrows was set aside and one entered into a different sort of time. And this is this uh, really interesting reality that, that of, of all the things that God commanded them to do, one of them is to be able to take this, um, to mimic his, uh, his viewpoint of the world. And he has this uh, six days of creating and then one day of not creating, of, of, of resting. And in this, this is a, this is a, 
powerful idea that what happens is it takes, every six days, it takes a day for us to begin to learn something very specific about ourselves and very fundamental about ourselves that we are not simply a collection of what we have accomplished, of what we do, but at least one day a week we celebrate that we are a child of God without doing a single thing to earn it. And this is a fundamental identity. And we think about this, if you're a parent and you think about bringing a kid into this world or or, or, or adopting a kid, there is a moment that you begin to look at that child and you have feelings for this child that has done nothing to earn that. Like one of the most foundational things as I understood my relationship with God was when I had a child and I began to look at my child and say, I have such a significant um, joy and and love for this child um, and they've done nothing to earn it. There's, I mean, all they've done is eaten and pooped, right? And that's kind of it. And that is good enough. And there's one day a week where we get to have uh, a moment where, where we kind of embody this same kind of identity as children of God, that we are not doing something that continues. And all around us, we have this idea that our, in, our identity and our worth comes from something that we create, something that we do, something that we um, actualize in our life. And in this, we need at least one day a week to figure out just how to be. And there's something fundamental about this for us, that when we begin to understand how to be and how to like ourselves without having to accomplish something, it radically shifts the way that our identity is formed. And the sneaky truth is that it doesn't just affect the way our identity is formed. It actually affects the way that we create on the other six days. Uh, one of the things that we see is that, that God is, is who he is, then he creates, then he rests. And so if you begin to look at the entire picture of this, what God does is he, is he works from rest and not rest from work. This is this slight shift, but it really changes the way that we approach our world, that we begin to see ourselves not as people who simply rest from work, but we work from rest, that we begin to say, there's something about me that needs to be formed, and so that when I create, it is creating in the right format, that I can begin to see the way that I'm actualizing the gifts and talents that God has given me in a healthy way, that it doesn't begin to ultimately become my identity, and it becomes who I am, and uh, and especially for you guys, um, I think it's really easy um, for, for you men to, to take and really identify with the things that you do, and whether that's going good or bad affects everything else about your life. It affects your identity, it affects your relationships with your family, it affects your relationship with friends. And this is key because if we are working and then if we get and we just crash after that, this is not the life that we're meant to live. And in this, again, the sneaky reality is that if we begin to see this idea of I need to rest so that I can work most effectively, we begin to work in an appropriate context. And here's what I would say to you. We even begin to see the things that we create, um, we're we're creating out of health. And and ultimately, I would say that the things that we create, we're better creators. Um, Our work is more profound in 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 this pathway. I believe that also 
if we begin to work from rest, we find our identity in Christ, then what happens is this, we, we limit the capacity that we have to burn out, um, that we begin to, to have this thing where we recognize the priority of work in our life and it is secondary to our identity in Christ. And this is one of the interesting things that we see in the Sabbath and we see that it's put here. And, and I want us to just for a minute, just begin to say, hey, do I do that really well? Can I be without having to do? Can I really believe that Jesus loves me whether or not I accomplish anything? And if we can say yes to that, then that is a massive step forward in our ability to grow in our identity to Christ. And this is, this is a massive theme throughout this. And this is one of the reasons that, that Luke is taking. He's doing some, some work on this and to be able to, 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 to look at it because it's so profound. And yet if we look in this text, the reality is, is as much as we need to understand that this is the background of something really good, what we begin to see Luke doing in this is going beyond this, that he's actually doing something that is more profound than that. He's taken and he is saying, as good as this is, Luke's goal is much bigger than simply altering the rhythms of our life or altering the way that we see our work and our creative um, endeavors in this world. Luke is trying to do something that is significant and is massive and affects everything in our life, not just the way that we live our life and the rhythms of this. And this is the great thing as we look closely at this, what we begin to see is that Luke's intent in this is to present Jesus as the fulfillment to everything that is promised to us. Not just to give us more tips on how to live life. He's not just trying to say, hey, this, this might be just a helpful way for you to live, but Jesus, I mean, but Luke is saying, hey, this is Jesus who affects everything. And so what I want to do is just pull out a couple of these phrases for us. And for us to be able to understand them just a little bit. So we see in verse, uh, in verse 5, it says this. It says, it says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And why that is so key is that what we see is a, a radical shift and, and, and really what Jesus is doing and how he sees himself in this context. We also see, we go a little further and it says, Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm, to save a life or destroy life? And what is going on there is he's taking this, uh, this thing and he's radically altering it in a significant way to be able to point to something more than just the rhythm that was established all the way back to, no, uh, sorry, to Moses, but something that is, is, it is looking forward to the future and the significance. And so what he's saying is this, is I am the authority. I am the Lord. I, everything revolves around me. I'm coming to this earth, not just to help you to know how to live the Sabbath better, but to be able to understand that this is a radical reformation of what Jesus has come to do. And so in this, we just need to know that, um, that Jesus is, is purposely, he's going against these, the Sabbath rules. 
he, he's taking and he's, he's pushing against these Sabbath ro- rules to be able to point to something. See, in this, what they would do is to make sure that this beautiful idea was actualized. They made sure that there was rules around this to be able to know what was work and what was rest. So for, uh, for them to be able to say, okay, let's, to make sure that we get this right, what we're going to do is we're going to form rules. And so they made 39 rules about really what defined work and what defined what rest was. And this went down to very specific things like how far you could walk on the Sabbath day, what you could do, what you could cook, all these things that began to say, hey, here's the framework. They effectively effectively did this. They put like this box around this and began to say, hey, this is what, like, so that you don't have to actually think about this. All you have to do is figure out how to obey these rules. I mean, these rules went all the way down, not just to people, but animals. Animals had rules for the Sabbath. There's only so much you could do for your animals. It was that specific of an understanding. And so what Jesus does is he takes those rules and he begins to, to poke at them. And he begins to disobey the rules that were set there to clarify what the Sabbath was all about. And in this, effectively, they, again, they create this box. And Jesus takes a sledgehammer to the box. And when Jesus takes a sledgehammer to the box, or this specifically to the rules that have created the box around this idea of the Sabbath, around this idea of what it was intended to do all the way from the very beginning, um, it, it just, it makes them furious, right? It, it makes, it causes this deep emotional reaction to this. And, and what we begin to see is Jesus, and Luke's trying to help us to understand, Jesus isn't just trying to show a better way to live. He's trying to say, he is the fulfillment of everything. So in this, we're going to see this as we get further and further to Luke, but I want to just give you a taste of what Jesus is doing. As Jesus refers to himself, um, he refers to himself as the, the, the temple, right? And he refers to himself as uh, the context where, where heaven and earth meet. And so I want, I want you to get just this another idea that if the temple was the space, right? The temple was where um, God... God's sphere and the human sphere met. Like this was built, this is God's house. The equivalent was the Sabbath, which was the time where God's time and human time coincided. That Sabbath was the time to, was to time what the temple was to space. I want you to get that Jesus comes into the world not just to help us to learn how to live a better Sabbath or not just to clarify what the role of the temple is and to be able to say, hey, here's the collision of heaven and earth. And Jesus is really clear about the collision of heaven and earth. It affects time. It affects space. It affects matter. Again, later on, what, he, what we begin to see is Jesus is Lord over matter. He heals the guy's hand. That Jesus is coming to provide his authority over all of these, over time, space, and matter, that nothing is, is not under his control. And this is such a powerful thing as we begin to see what it looks like to have Jesus in the box and really what it looks like for people to create the rules around these things, whereby we can have, that it's possible to observe the Sabbath and completely miss the Lord of the Sabbath. That it's absolutely possible for us to do religious things and radically miss what is behind those things. 
that we would do things for the Lord, but actually miss the Lord in, uh, in the process. That we would try to serve Jesus, but we would miss Jesus in the process. And this is where we get where we are very poor at beginning to say, hey, I'm going to get from here to there. And oftentimes we walk in circles. And here's what Jesus does. He begins to help us understand what the difference was. That we don't reduce Jesus down to rules, but we begin to realize that Jesus is Lord, that we don't boil him down to slogans, but we begin to see um, foundationally that he is here to accomplish everything. That what we see is it always goes back to Jesus as having radical authority and Paul, sorry, and Luke being able to say, here's what you have to know about Jesus. There's a radical authority that he has. I love the line in, that C.S. Lewis uses as he talks about um, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, they begin to, as Aslan represents who God is, um, and, and, and being able to understand this, who he is, it says, it says this, it says, um, is he a tame lion? And the response is, he's not a tame lion, but he is good. And I think oftentimes what we do is the same very thing that we kind of spin in circles. What we think is we would rather have um, something that's, that's tame and we question the goodness of God. But we just think, hey, this is a tame thing. I've, I've put all this stuff around. I have this box where, where God resides in my life. And as we look at this, I, I want us to get, to get this reality. And I want us to understand really there's two ways for us to see how we look at um, the intrusion of God in our life and how do we have this understanding of what God gets and, and, and how this works. Because the, the vast majority of, uh, of the world um, operates in, in this kind of way. It, it kind of looks like this. It, we call it bounded set and centered set. And so if we think about this, oftentimes there's this box. This box in the same way that they put this, that, that we say, hey, these are the, these are the things where we're going to create rules. And these are the rules. And this is kind of this static place where we begin to say, hey, this is what it looks like. This is right behavior. And we do these, this right behavior. And this is defined as this is what makes you in or out. So, um, so this is, you know, this is what it looks like for you to operate in this. This is the 39 rules. This is all this stuff. And then if you break this, then you're outside of this, right? And so we do this to define who is in and who is out. But, but what happens is that when you're operating inside of this, right, when you're operating in this context, um, really what's going on is, is there's this desire to move out. There's this desire to say, okay, this, when there's a bounded set, um, we begin to push the, the boundaries of this. We begin to say, how far can I go? How far um, can, I, can I figure out how to push this? This is this, the natural progression of our heart. And so you begin to see, they, they do these rules and they say, okay, how far can I go? And they go to the very edge of that. But I want you to understand that Jesus comes in here and says, that's the, uh, that's the exact opposite way for you to understand. Instead, we have this understanding of centered set. We have this understanding that it's not about creating the boundaries around this, but being able to say there's a dynamic relationship. And what we have to do is in any moment, we're either moving towards Jesus or moving away from Jesus, 
right? We're moving towards Jesus in our world, or we're moving away, and that's the defining reality. And this is what, when we begin to see Jesus as saying, have come to be Lord over the Sabbath, what he's saying in this is that um, there's a foundational trajectory that you have to see yourself as, that you begin to see yourself not as a, 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 a reality of rules and whether or not you're following those rules, that's what, that's what this bounded set looks like. And so then you begin to say, the thing that defines where my relationship with God and what this looks like is really, what does it look like for me to follow the rules? And Jesus is like, oh, let me break all the rules so that you begin to understand that I've not come and I've not begun to, to create a new reality so that you might be able to just have more clarity on whether or not you're in the rules or not. I've come that you might be able to have me as the center part of your life so that there's a reality of moving, moving towards Jesus. And for us, I believe that we have to see ourselves in terms of the centered set, not the bounded set, because here's, here's the reality. When we begin to see this and we begin to watch this, the desire of God in, in our life, it, it just radically changes. I remember um, growing up, um, we had a dog. It was a, it was a dachshund. It was you know, a wiener dog. And we had this, uh, we had this fence that we kept our dog in. And um, the desire for this dog, his name was Ginger, was to do whatever she could do to escape and so um, she was just, she was bred for digging. So we would always have our dog who was trying to get out of this, uh, of this fenced area and she would dig under the fence. And so we would go on a hunt for ginger. And so we would go and we would go from door to door and we would figure out, hey, where's our dog? Where's our dog? Where's our dog, right? And, uh, and I remembered like, this was just the reality that, um, and, and then we would like, we would put bricks um, in, in the place where she, where she would dig out. And then over the years, like it was just like, eventually we almost bricked our entire fence, right? Because it was just, she would move from one place to another. And this was the desire of her heart was to figure out how to exit the fence. That was the desire of her heart. I remember going over to a friend's house that lived on the outside of town. And, um, and he had a, he had a blue healer he didn't have a dachshund, but he had a blue healer. And, uh, and I remember, um, watching this, this dog, right. And this dog would always be on the front porch, not a fence on the whole place, but the dog would always be on the front porch. And it struck me how significantly different this was because my dog kept wanting to leave <laughs> their dog never wanted to leave. It was like the laziest dog ever. My dog was a hard working leaving dog, right? It was doing whatever it could do to get out. That dog was a lazy dog, right? It just stayed on the porch. And, uh, and why does it stay on the, on the porch? Because all the options were open, but there was only one place that had food. And it always came back to the place that had food. And after exploring all of those options over and over, what it decided was that it's better to stay on the front porch where there's food than to try to go off. I was listening to someone talk about um, shepherds in Australia and the fact that there's no fences um, for most shepherds in Australia because there's such a limited supply of water. So, and someone asked, hey, why is there no fences? And I said, well, there's only one watering hole. Why would we spend our effort putting fences up when we always know that the sheep are going to come back to the place that they can get water? This is what Jesus is doing. He's shattering. He's, he's trying to uproot the fence. 
He's trying to shatter the box. He's trying to say, hey, I've come to be the authority and the priority of your life. I've not come to try to build a better fence. I've not come to try to justify your fence. I've not tried to help you to enjoy the fence. I've helped you to come and you hate the fence because what the fence is, is just a behavior modification. And I, I want us resonate to hate behavior modification if it comes at the, expense, at the expense of falling in love with Jesus Christ. And for us to go back over and over to say, Jesus is better than anything else. And Jesus is the one that I want to come to. And what happens is you begin to have the laziness of the country dog instead of the city dog, right? And you begin to realize, why do I want to spend my time running after this job, running after this um, materialism, running after this relationship, running after all these things when I found my home, when I found that this is where all of my needs are met. And this is what Jesus has said, I've come to give you new life life, new creation, new everything. No longer do the rules have to define you. You now can operate in a context where I allow you to feel what you're intended to feel as a child of God. I've come to heal, right? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is what Luke is saying. Hey, this is Jesus who is the authority on everything. And my desire is that we would begin to have these moments where we would, instead of trying to figure out how we get out of the fence, that we would begin to say, how do I run back to Jesus? And we would begin to operate in the centered set and not the bounded set. And so here's what, as we talk about this, here's, here's what I want to ask us to do is simply the, to do this, to reject these reduction, or reducing the gospel to just these behaviors. And, and may we be people that, that begin to say, hey, it's got to be more than just behaviors. It's got to be more than just us trying to modify this because at the end of the day, you're going to get so bored with Christianity. You're going to get so bored with a, with a God and with Jesus who is simply just a, a pathway for your behavior modification. You're going to get so uh, disgruntled with this idea of just trying to figure out how to do enough to please your heavenly father. And our desire is for you to receive Jesus as Lord of everything. And for you to walk into that and begin to recognize that that is better than anything else. That we begin to have relationship over just religion. That we begin to realize that, um, uh, that moving towards Jesus begins to give us more freedom. That God's purpose is to mend, restore, and heal and that we begin to believe that. What I want to do is uh, we have the, the privilege, oftentimes our, our site pastors are spread out all over um, our, our network, but um, because this weekend we, we brought everyone here to, to be able to kind of engage in this event, um, I, I want to, uh, to invite uh, a couple of our site pastors up because I think that these are real things to talk about. How is it that we talk through making Jesus into the authority and what it looks like for him to be made authority? So I want to uh, invite up um, Jacob Daw and Craig Lovelace. Give him a hand. So tell us, what, what in your life, as you guys come on to the center here, as you guys are uh, figuring this out, as you're walking towards this, just tell me a moment where, where this idea of, of seeing Jesus is better and, and breaking out of that box, how that's kind of played out in your life. It's a good question. Yeah, for me, um, 
I was thinking about, as you were talking today, uh, a moment for me was when I was, uh, a few years ago, before I moved to Ellensburg, I miss Pullman, by the way, I miss you guys a lot. Uh, so m before moving to Ellensburg, I was an employee at Washington State University. I was an engineer working at uh, Sports Science Lab. A really fun, yeah, shout out to Sports Science Lab. Cool. Uh, a few of us, a few of the proud, right? Um, so I was working at the, at the lab, and uh, back then, uh, Ellison Floyd was still president, and so uh, one, one winter, he decided to give every single employee a bonus. So sorry about that, if you guys didn't get that this year, but for this, this one year, I got a bonus check from, from via Ellison Floyd. So for, for me, being a new Christian, uh, I thought, wow, awesome, I get to have you know, all this money, I'll tithe 5 10% on this money, I can spend the 90% for you know, a new laptop or a new TV or whatever. And so that was, the, that was the first moment, I think, that I began to wrestle with the box. Like in, in my life, you know, I, was, I began to, to look at what the Bible says about you know, tithing or about what money looks like in my life. And so I began to wrestle with, okay, maybe I should give away 10%. And then began to think about, well, what if God's calling me to give more? What if God's calling me to open up my life and to be generous and, and not just do the bare minimum and do the box, the box, uh, you know, uh, equivalent of, of giving? And began to wrestle with, what if God is calling me to give it all away? My entire bonus check. I don't, this is a bonus. It wasn't like my salary. It's a bonus to my life. So why wouldn't I just simply wrestle with, like, giving it all away? So I asked Jess about it, and we began to pray about it and asked, asked God what we should do with the money. And so we ended up giving it all uh, to our friends going for Christmas. And so we had uh, multiple friends we gave money to. And, uh, and so I remember one night I'm laying in my bed, uh, like super sick, had a really bad cold. And uh, one of the girls we supported, I um, called Jess and was thanking her. And I overhear her in the next room. I'm like weeping in my bed, sick, uh, experiencing the joy of generosity. And so I think a lot of times we hear Jesus is Lord and we think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm having to give up and sacrifice and simply do, do this thing out of obligation. But I think Jesus is Lord is the most joyful thing for us. Mm. And so I experienced that firsthand um, and open, opening up my life and being generous and experiencing his, him as Lord of my life and wrestling with uh, my, own, my own box, my own life and giving it up to him and, and having him be Lord of my money, be Lord of my finances, of our finances and experiencing the joy on the backside of that was, a, it was an incredible moment. Um, in my faith, early on in my faith. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Craig, how about you? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, growing up in a Christian home, I, I knew what it looked like to, um, I mean, I, I didn't become a believer until I was a freshman in college, uh, but I'd seen my parents love people well. I'd seen people, uh, you know, be blessed by my parents' home and the way they treated people, but we weren't, we didn't have people over a ton. And, uh, and then when I became a, a Christian and started looking into community and going to village and experiencing deeper love with people outside of my blood family, um, I started to, look, to learn more about what it looked like to love people and have them in, in my, my space. Uh, and then when Kelly and I got married and started uh, pursuing church planting, um, coming on staff and, and just exploring uh, what it looked like to love people through our space, through our home, through our stuff, um, we, we really wrestled with, is Jesus Lord of our home? Is Jesus Lord of our space? Um, and uh, and we, we had a, a picture of the box being uh, a certain level of hospitality, that if they can come over and eat a meal that we cooked, uh, and, and if they can be over for you know, two hours or so, that, that was good, hospitable Christianity. And, uh, but, but beyond that two hours, you know, village is done, you guys need to get out now and leave us to be in our space, right? Um, and, and just started being challenged as freshmen would come over for hours and just 
just linger in our home. And, uh, and, and we started experiencing community in places like uh, friends at, at Grace Point and the way they do life on life and this uh, giving one another refrigerator rights that you can come over and eat out of my fridge and you don't even have to ask uh, because that's what family do. Um, and just redefining family for me. Uh, I just only known the way my family did it growing up. And, and that was Christian. That was good enough. I was following the rules. Uh, but it wasn't outside the box, and it certainly wasn't uh, helping me go beyond what was good enough to really see how Jesus loved people. So, um, yeah, just redefining hospitality and seeing what, not, not what does it look like to be hospitable, but what does it look like to love people in a way that helps me see Jesus in my everyday life and every time someone enters my home. Uh, to, to give them more more of Christ. Uh, so another way that I've seen this framed, this whole idea is just to say um, that Jesus didn't come, like holiness is not morality. Holiness is more like being more like Jesus. Mm. And so he's Lord over everything. And uh, the question is not, am I doing the right thing, but am I doing the Jesus thing? Is this helping me love him more and know him more? So, yeah. That's really good. Hey, give these guys a hand. Thank you. So Jesus comes and he says this to us um, because we all have a propensity to want to create a box in our life. We all have a propensity to be able to say, what I'd like to do is I would like to have control and, and control, and as we really think about, I still want to have this righteous lifestyle, right? I really, I still want to, to say I'm following Jesus, but I still want to have control, right? What happens is what we do is we create boxes. We create boxes that help us to be able to say, hey, if I do this, this is enough. And what Jesus wants is our heart. He wants us to find more joy in him, and our propensity is to do the same thing that the Pharisees did, to be able to say, hey, if I just do this, is this enough? If I just do this thing, is that enough to be able to say, have, I'm good? But Jesus really isn't the greater desire of my heart. The desire of my heart is really just to be a good person, but be able to ultimately have maximum control over my life. And so I want to challenge us all today to be able to say, where is it that we've created boxes that allow us to continue to have control while keeping the Lordship of Jesus at bay? And I want you to get this, that when the box gets created, when Jesus takes a sledgehammer, it's not a fun thing, that we begin to get furious. And so I want to ask you just to be able to think through, and one of the just quick ways to, just to ask why three times. If you begin to have something, you say, why am I doing this thing? And you kind of go back and say, okay, so why am I doing that? Okay, so why am I doing that? And to figure out where it lands in your heart. And if you'll just be honest with that, if you say, why am I making this decision? Why do I have this thought? You might be able to find boxes that you've created. And I want us to be able to ultimately be country dogs that lay on porches and know that Jesus is better and have deep abiding uh, peace and that we're not frantic to be able to say what's on the other side of the fence, what's out there because we know this Jesus is better. Let me pray for us. God, help us to fundamentally believe that you're better, fundamentally believe that you are worth everything for us to ultimately realize 
that we could work so hard and get nowhere. Help us to realize that we're more likely to walk in circles if we're not pointed to you. And if you don't become the Lord in our life that sets our path straight. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.